Welcome to The Business Grind, where we give you an inside perspective on what it takes to start, build, and run a successful business. Here are your hosts, Danny Shaw and Sean Michael Wellington. Hello to everyone in podcast land today. Thanks for joining us. Sean, how are you feeling? Feeling great and excited to have a guest who's a personal friend of mine, um, the COO and co-founder of Crayle Essence, Stefan Jean-Baptiste, is here. All right. Welcome. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you, uh, Danny and Sean. Really appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out to, to share this entrepreneurship grind or with the business grind community. <laughs> so <laughs> I really, really appreciate the opportunity. For our audience out there who may not be familiar with your company, your brand, could you provide a little intro, like the background of the company, how it started, and so forth? Sure, absolutely. So Crayol Essence is the name of the company. Mm-hmm. We produce or curate uh, natural and ethical beauty products with ingredients that we source directly out of Haiti. Mm-hmm. The company was started by myself and my wife, my business partner, life partner, uh, Eve Kalman Uh We actually started, or the inspiration about it was uh, going far as far as back as our time in Philly. Uh, so Sean and I have that, well, we have that personal connection of, of yeah, Temple University. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's that. what they're calling, right? I was about to say, yeah, TU, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so after graduating, you ended up working in Philly and, you know, I thought that was going to be the last stop for me. I really love the vibe of the city. Um, it's a great city to sort of be a young black professional. You got New York that's right there, DC that's right down the street, but then Philly itself just has its own uh, sort of, the, you know, the grit that everybody talks about Philly, but then just the beauty of just really like the, the black business community and the, and the political scene uh, was, was, was great for us. Um, but, you know, the, the inspiration for the business, both myself and Yifkar has, you know, always been within the Haitian community. Um, and after experiencing what she called her hair catastrophe of going to an event, wanting to look her best, you know, I was able to grab those digits at the event <laughs> after that. Uh-huh. Um, she actually experienced some hair loss um, mm. due to permanent heat damage. And, you know, in that process, so we're dating, but then, you know, like the business idea is percolating. Um, she reached out to her mom to essentially get what's known in our Haitian community as the liquid gold of the Caribbean, which is our Haitian black castor oil, mm-hmm. or for my Haitians out there listening, uh, mm-hmm. as you'll know it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, her mom was like, hey, you know, I have it. I can send you a stash. But once we got that bottle, you know, for my Caribbean folks out there. Like it was the immigrant stash, you know, so it was wrapped up in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a rum bumaku bottle, mm-hmm. um, you know, taped all over it. And then as we even started doing more, you know, what's called market research or um, going out there to see what else is on the market. One of the things that once we started doing market research in, in starting the company or getting this initial idea of bringing Yulmas Kuti or Haitian black castor oil to the, to the community, we would go to different stores and see that it was in Gerber bottles, rum bottles. Oh. We felt that folks were just really disrespecting mm. this staple of homeopathy, beauty, uh, just really, we use it for everything. We felt folks were really just <laughs> not really putting the respect and the prestige behind this, this right. liquid gold for us. Um, and so her mom, so we jokingly said like, Hey, you know, we have experience working in the Haitian community. We have some experience working in Haiti directly. Why don't we just import this and sell it? Um, and jokingly said this to Eve Carr's mom. And she was like, you're right. 
uh, <laughs> you should do it. You know, fast forward, we both had jobs, full-time jobs at this at the time. Yukar was working for Penn. I actually was working. Um, I this is my second business. I started off as an entrepreneur. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you remember this, but Google Concepts, which was a a design firm that I had started mm-hmm. even right in undergrad. Um, and so I had my plate full with that. Really had no mindset of of just starting a new business, and especially um, right around that time, the Haiti earthquake hits. Right. You know, and for us, we went straight back into what we know best of fundraising. Ifka's mom was like, look, you know, I see that you guys are working this. This is great. But once the cameras are gone, once Anderson Cooper and CNN leaves Haiti, what people will really need are jobs. Um, They're going to need that opportunity and that that lifeline to rebuild and get back on track. And that resonated really well with us. And then, you know, we had another friend of ours who said that, look, you know, I know you guys put this on the back burner, but your 100% is other people's 80%. So, you know, just get out there, test it out, and, and, and launch. So we ultimately ended up launching the company or client-facing in about uh, 20, uh, 2014. Um, and, you know, in between that, Eve finished her master's. We moved to Ithaca. We had new businesses. Um, but those two words for us really resonated well. And, and we really spent that time doing the research, getting down to Haiti, really understanding and finding out what it was going to take for us to really launch this. And yeah, in 2014, we actually launched the website. And uh, yeah, I guess as they say, oh, the rest is history still being written. <laughs> That's just a step for that for us. Wow. I want to jump right in because you launched in 2014 and then y'all, you know, were making 135K in sales in 2015. So in a year, you guys already... Like that's I don't know that's a lot in my opinion I have no you know retail <laughs> experience that seems like a lot in a year so yeah no it was busy and I'll tell you this and you know especially when we talk on Shark Tank um, you know what we when we started and it was it was definitely was a blessing we maybe about a month or two in we had one of the largest nutraceutical companies reach out to us asking us to buy our product wholesale. Um, and in bulk and we have no idea any concepts of like, okay, hey, people make money of just selling ingredients and selling things in bulk, um, which, you know, funny enough, because they ask what's called in the industry a certificate of analysis, which is essentially the properties of the chemical or the ingredient that you're formulating. We literally gave them a, a document that said certificate of analysis, Haitian black castor oil. Like we were so <laughs> green. Uh, <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, like I can admit that now, right? right. But, but uh, we were so green, and um, right after that, there was a company who contacted us at Alibaba, and then emailed, and we're like, "Yo, like they're serious." And so we we started moving the product in bulk while we were still really trying to figure out like the whole branding, um, packaging. Um, you know, really looking at our full product line, and so yeah, those initial sales is really what helped us. just see the company or and give us that confidence that we actually had something that people wanted. Could you talk our audience a little bit, you know, some of the stuff leading in between those those two things? Yeah, like yeah. how did you no, get your list sure. and your clientele and things like that? Mm-hmm. So one of the most important things, and I'm glad that you brought that up, that happened to us was, as, as I noted real quick, that we ended up moving to Ithaca, New York, where uh, my partner Eve Carr got a position working for Cornell. She was the director of diversity uh, alumni affairs. Um, and then I, I took a full time job at uh, Ithaca College. And after that, um, you know, she really got that bug of like, look, you know, and then, you know, at this time we're 
we're, we're doing the market research and, and what I mean by that is just really understanding, trying to say, okay, who's going to purchase this? What does it take to actually export it out of Haiti? We actually hired a consultant at the time just to sort of really get an understanding of the landscape and, you know, especially for those who might be interested in doing work or building businesses in their home countries if they're not, you know, from the U.S. or migrated or sort of have like that, that attachment. It's so important to go into the country and really understand the landscape. And so we, we really spent like that early time frame doing so. Um, and again, one of the most important things that happened to us was um, when Eve Carr decided to pursue her master's at Cornell, we participated in an incubator um, called eLabs. Mm-hmm. And that was our very sort of first formal training in business where we really took the customer discovery thing, which was an assignment to, to the next level. And it was like, okay, hey, here's a list of questions that you want to ask your friends, your family members, or even just strangers. Like we spent months of just anytime we would travel for our nine to five. We would spend that night doing customer discovery, going to stores. Like I don't know how many sort of beauty supply stores I went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whole Foods was a target at the time for us. And so okay. I would go into any target with a small bottle of castor oil in, in our respective pockets and say, hey, this is what I have. I'm exporting this out of Haiti. Here's my story. Would you be interested in buying this? Right. If you're interested at what price point? Um, and then what they also taught us was something that a friend of mine, who again, said it very early on in our Philly days was the MVP. You know, a lot of times we don't have the terms to articulate it. We just know what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And so in the in the Cornell uh, eLab, we were exposed to the term MVP, minimal right. viable product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for us, our minimal viable product was, like I said, that one gallon of castor oil that we bought from a co-op in Haiti. We put that in like two ounce bottles and then we started essentially just testing it out, giving it to friends, giving it to families, giving it to retailers and say, hey, would you be interested in purchasing this? And that's how we really... Um, sort of one gave us that initial um, one again confidence, right? I think a lot of this is about confidence and 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 your comfort level. Give us that confidence to say, hey, we have something here. You know, I started developing the label, and then slowly but surely, from that one sticker that we had that said Cradle Essence, it, it morphed into a label that fully said Haitian Black Castor Oil. Um, and then you know we had like that one skew. That one skew allowed us to to launch in in 2014 to say, okay, hey, <laughs> jump on our PayPal. Right. We didn't even have a full website at the time. It was just a PayPal, three products on there, mm-hmm. and 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 purchase. And you know it's it's amazing seeing that it goes from friends and family to like complete strangers that you don't even know. Mm-hmm. That's when we're like, hey, I think we have a business. Very nice. How did you get to that um, as your minimum viable product? Was it based on just crunching the numbers and hey, this is how much it costs for? us yeah. to get it from this person yeah no good question um you know well one it, it was essentially what we set out to do the the at, from the inception it was the Asian black castor oil um and then yeah so we we went into the numbers and i think i we didn't even like crunch that we didn't even get that far to be quite honest with you it was just like this is the product that we know we want to sell before we even like get into like how much it's going to cost us to make and we were still figuring that out it gave us that opportunity. Like I said, we, we bought, I can't even remember how much we bought it for, but we bought like an initial gallon, imported mm. it from one trip to Haiti, put it in our suitcase, and we were able to sort of like stretch that out um, just to test the waters out to essentially gauge how much people were willing to spend on it and then how much there's uh, uh, where the pot- potential demand was for it. Wow. Okay. So you kind of set the market. Okay. I, I think so. I mean, look, there were some other people, you know, in the space for sure. Um, but really even looking at branding, our positioning that we took for branding, we were very intent with Haiti and promoting Haiti. 
Um, and, and, and even when we launched 2014 and, you know, so that hundred thousand dollar mark was us just beating the pavement in Haiti to buy as much seeds as we can. And when we actually got in country, the, the, the market almost crashed because like no one was actually purchasing that amount of seeds in one given volume or mm. one given uh, a shot. So that was a lesson of one understanding business as an entrepreneur here in the States, but then understanding the economy of scale and agriculture and the, the Haiti landscape as it pertains to actually purchasing overseas. We talked about the MVP. We actually discussed that a lot, especially since um, we read the Lean Startup, which speaks to that concept of the MVP a lot. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of discuss the the process or the filtering of saying, okay, this is where we want to go and we know we want to get there, but we have to scale it down to that MVP right. and managing right. those expectations? Yeah. No, um, so as far as from MVP to essentially where you ultimately want to be as a brand, um, you know, a lot of it, you know, I would say it's, it's twofold, right? There's just your gut instinct and reaction of ultimately where you want to be as a brand. That's mm-hmm. number one. Number two, um, I think Sean was hitting to it. It's like, okay, what the finances, what can you do on a bootstrapping model? Right. Uh, and, and for us, you know, so I'll, I'll hit on the finances uh, first. So yes, importing was <laughs> it was a big cost for us. Um, but then you know, just really looking now, I we were blessed, and my background as a marketer, as a as a content creator, I was able to just open up Photoshop, open up Illustrator, and start designing my own labels. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I had some relationship with some printers. I had relationship as far as finding the best cost effective way to essentially gang run um, our labels. Um, by the time of launch, we had about three different SKUs, um, the original castor oil, a lavender, and a peppermint. So with my knowledge of sort of printing, I knew that I can gang run these labels. And we still, I mean, we still operate in a boot and a lean manner mm-hmm. in which, you know, we would try to find, okay, if I'm going to buy 100,000, 200,000 pieces of this particular package, what else can I actually package in that? Right. Um, so that I can actually stretch that out and get the economy of scale. I can bring that cost down mm-hmm. because I'm supposed to order 50,000 here, 50,000 there. I can order 100,000, 200, upwards of about 500,000 pieces. And then that can ultimately be used across multiple SKUs. Right. Um, so that was one of the ways that we were able to like keep costs down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, the website, like I said, you know, yes, I knew I wanted a full-blown website, and this is way before Shopify and the whole nine. But mm-hmm. just the launch, we put up a um, PayPal page. Right. Again, three ninety-nine. Uh, <laughs> you know, just just a PayPal page. that said, "Here are the three SKUs. Here are the three buttons. Click on what you want. We'll ship it out to you." Right. Um, so that that allowed us to just really get that proof of concept, right. uh, minimal viable product out there. Very good. Very um, good. And then the, the second half of that is like, okay, your ultimate vision. Like for me, because I, I, again, as a storyteller, as a content creator, like I, I feel like my work and my passion has always been sort of rewriting and reshaping that narrative of Haiti. Um, I, 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 you know, we, we get annoyed hearing sort of the, the poorest country in the Western hemisphere as like the only description, the only adjective um, to describe the country. And so I, my ultimate vision was like, how do we use the beauty products as a vehicle to reshape that narrative and, mm-hmm. and shape that 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 history? Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. I always knew on the retail perspective, I wanted to be in a place, pretty position it as what's called in the beauty industry as a prestige brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, 
was the type of packaging I wanted to ultimately have and then also the type of retailer that I wanted to align myself with. Could you speak to working and being partners with your partner? <laughs> <laughs> and speak to that. So. Oh, yeah, make sure she doesn't listen to this episode. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you know what, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but mm-hmm. it also comes with its challenges. I mean, look, relationships are challenging to right. begin with, right? Like mm-hmm. two people, different roles um, that, that come together. And, you know, I think you have to have that shared vision of where you want your relationship to be, where you want your marriage to be, right? right. Um, I remember uh, a fraternity brother of mine, who's actually my brother-in-law now, um, you know, as he was getting married, getting ready to marry my sister, you know, I told him, I was like, look, we meet on just on the relationship tip and check in with each other as if we're meeting, like, in the boardroom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so taking some of those practices, you know, allowed us to sort of, like, uh, create what the structure would be sort of working with each other. Right. Um, cause we were already like, you know, we would check in with each other You know, all that to say is communication as they always tell you is like the most important thing. Right. Um, and then, you know, I think a big part as far as on the working side is just remembering to leave work at work. Mm. Um, it's a little bit harder for me to be quite honest with you. Like I, you know, and, and if we're bucking gender norms and expectations, like I would meet a lot of guys and be like, yo, I can never work with my wife. She's going to nag me. She's going to do this. She's going to be through that. She's too emotional. I'm like, it's the opposite around here. I'm more the emotional cat. Like she'll <laughs> say something to me at like nine, 10 o'clock in the meeting with staff. And by six o'clock, I'm still upset at her. Right. Yeah, I'm right. like, yo, <laughs> I ain't like the way you said that. You know, like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> right, so, right. And that's you being the creative in the company. Right, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and and she'll be like, what are you talking about? I was like, yo, you don't remember seeing this in the meeting? She was like, yo, like, I'm already past that. I got to think of like 10 different things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so for me, I have to learn to check my ego. Um, both in just our personal relationship and in our business relationship, because a lot of a lot of like you know, and, and there's a thing that that we learn um, is you know, uh, motivational speaker Brene Brown is called confabulating, right? So I would do a lot of that, and what what that means, the confabulation is essentially you putting in your mind what you think the person is saying and internalizing it in a negative capacity mm. or a negative way. And I I realized very early on, well not early on, I didn't realize that, but <laughs> reflecting on my <laughs> experience yes like sean said that creative side forced me to do a lot of confabulating and again like you're creating you're putting so much of you into your business and into what you do it's hard to separate that um and so you have to work on essentially creating that that separation between personal business and and again making that space to continue to date each other and remember that you guys are both life partners in this yeah i don't know if it i I don't think it's obviously not by design, but our, our our last interview with our with our last business owner also spoke about you know starting the business and the input from his his wife. You know she's a mind she's a she has a stake in the company. She doesn't run the operations, but a lot of his moves for the business, you know, he has to have these talks with her, and you know the communication is very key to make sure that it's it's it sustains and becomes successful, yeah. right? For yeah, sure. no, for sure, for sure. And look, power of women, man. I mean, there's just, just you know, the creativity. I mean, she started off, it's funny, and she'll hate me for saying this, but when we met each other, it was it was outside of the business capacity. She was actually running a, um, 
um, a national Haitian student conference and movement. And I told her, like, yo, you were doing PowerPoint uh, presentations and I taught you Photoshop. Now she jumps in on my computer and like, boom, like, mm -hmm. you know, I actually brought her on board my other, my other business, my creative uh, business, because she just sort of had a knack of both understanding the creativity and the business aspect of things. Really nice. Um, at my heart of heart, I'm a, I'm, I'm a creative, like I'm not a businessman. <laughs> I do, do you make me want to skip, but I'm not going to skip my question because <laughs> I got a question about that. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if I was to categorize myself, my, my dream, like I'm, I'm doing this hustle so that ultimately I can just sit and be a creative director or, you know, just like follow my passions as a creative. Like, and, but but you have to go through that journey to really feel comfortable and understand, OK, hey, what my capacities are. Um, and, and, and I think it goes back to that confabulating and, and just sort of having that confidence to be like, OK, you know what? No, this is me. I understand what my strengths and my weaknesses are mm -hmm. and, and what my capacities are. All right, Sean, I want to hear this question now. Yeah. <laughs> now nah, we got we got some ways to go because oh, all right, so, right. So, so, because I want to hear about so 2015 100k plus in sales, but then 2016 40k in sales like yeah, and then y'all bounced back 2017 to to double what you were doing in 2015. Y'all were at like 327k. Like you got to talk to me about that process up the down and i mean just to give an overall view you guys switched to a direct to consumer model right so that yeah. really would increase your sales so like just tell yeah, me about sure. that sure. yeah um so no exactly to your point and and i think you know i the question is apropos because it leads it, it like it comes full circle um uh, for that so yeah you know we're, we're actually doing well we're selling i mean look i'm moving castle comes in and at the time i'm running everything out of my garage so castle comes in goes right back out. Sometimes I have to spend late nights just emptying them out into new containers and new drums. Um, but you know, you know, that business is doing well. One of our, we have one core customer right now that's buying in bulk on the B2B model and they want you know, the, the, and we're also doing our work on the B2C side or sort of the brand development to sort of really create that demand for Haitian castor oil. Um, and so, their demand is increasing along with ours. And so they're like, look, you're doing 20 drums. I double it. Let's do 40. Let's double it. Let's do 60. Um, for us, the supply chain, we realized, could not sustain that, that fast growth. Mm -hmm. And um, we could not essentially, unfortunately, deliver fast enough to that buyer. Yes. And oh, so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so that buyer essentially, like, you know, he did, he put his PO in and, and essentially we could not finish fulfilling that PO, hmm. um, which ultimately dissolved that relationship. And, and, and so just, like, yeah, I don't want to, I hate, I hate to enjoy just for the audience, the PO yeah. is the purchase order, right? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry, sorry, the okay. purchase order. So okay. essentially like it was their commitment, their, their, their commitment to purchase from us, mm -hmm. um, and then our commitment to essentially meet that, um, that request. So, you know, we, I think we ended up fulfilling half of that. And, and so we had to take that step back to understand, okay, our supply chain needed to essentially catch up with the hustle and the demand that we were doing. Um, and then also realizing that it was two separate businesses as well. Um, and that, and, and I think we were essentially in a bootstrapping capacity, stretching ourselves a little bit too thin to, to really manage both sides of that. Um, you know, and then the bounce back. And, and so, yeah, it was it was a huge dip. I mean, even to the point where we were getting ready to close the business down because, you know, not only are you, you know, the supply chain seemed like it was a, a lot to manage at the same time, but we, you know, there's expenditures that you have to put out. There's staff at the time. At the time, we were fully up and running and operational in Haiti. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, had a full staff there, um, farmers and producers, um, even the state side, we had, um, you know, different contracting to different staff. So again, having those difficult conversations of, you know, letting staff go, um, and really, really going right back down to the bootstrapping model. Um, you know, to your point, as far as running it with your partner, you know, you, you really start questioning because, you know, things are great in any relationships. It's, it's, it's beautiful when things are great. You know, you got that job, you're both working, you know, like you're going out to dates on Friday night, Saturday night, you're out on the beach or doing whatever. Like things are beautiful. The love is there. I love you. You're my man. Like you're my woman. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when things start going tough again in any relationship, you know, like, holes or pokes and you know insecurities pop up right um and and so even on a personal level like one of the biggest things that allowed us to sort of get out of that funk was just checking in on each other checking Mm -hmm. in on self um you know recognizing what we could do better um and then the on the business side was going back to the customer um we recognized that anytime we paid attention to our customers what their needs were what their requests were it allowed us that opportunity to to grow with them and and to then so we recognized that we needed to go back and re-earn that trust with the customer right. um and, and and we switched really pivoted to a b2c model went back rebranded and and it goes back to your question as far as mvp you know for me it was that opportunity of like look go hard go, go hard or go home let's rebrand it in the image and in the brand that we want to be and where we want to go um, and the retailers that we want to attract. And so we, we updated the website again, a lot of late nights mm-hmm. <laughs> back then at this point, we shifted over to Shopify, um, bought the team together, you know, on a leaner model, but allowed us that opportunity to, to make the adjustments that we needed to do, to do that pivot, to go back and answer the customers of our tribes. Need. Got it. Got it. Can you tell me a little bit more about like your supply chain and like some of the challenges with the farmers in Haiti and just, you know, just in general? Yeah, yeah. So we we are um, vertically integrated uh, and essentially have a hybrid model when it comes to actually sourcing our development and especially for our our hero ingredients and our hero skew, which is our Haitian castor oil, our moringa and our Haitian vetiver. So with that, that actually, so on the castor seeds, and we actually chose this, not only was it the liquor goal of the Caribbean and a great product culturally, but as we started doing the research, what cemented that, and I think in, in directly answering your question as far as what allowed us to do that as the MVP, was the fact that it helps with soil erosion. Um, it's a cash crop. So I planted three months later, I can actually uh, recoup what I planted, and then it'll essentially continue to grow back. Mm-hmm. Um, the castor plant adds nourishment to the, the soil, and you can do what's called, um, uh, uh, not monocropping, but like a, 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 a dual cropping, where you can essentially match the castor oil with a plantain tree, with a, a, a mango or rice, or no, I'm sorry, not rice, but but other plants, uh, other sustainable plants that you can use, that the farmer can essentially use and sell in the market for food. Um, and for their livelihoods and business. So it, it assisted on the social impact piece and the environmental piece. And then number three is economic development in Haiti. The women that are sort of farmers, we actually purchase seeds directly from farmers and we work with uh, co-ops, with multiple co-ops throughout the country with a network of about 3,000 farmers uh, in, throughout the country. On the, on the economic development side, it's historically and traditionally women, um, impoverished women in Haiti that are producers of the castor oil it's something that's passed on from generation and you know within the household and so we wanted to specialize and focus on women 
and create a, a job educational to job to work employment pipeline with them. And we've actually partnered up with multitude of, of nonprofits and, and NGOs to essentially execute that um, and through the business as well. So, you know, they're coming in, they're learning about sort of and some of the women that's worked with us We in through working with with us open up their first bank accounts. Um, and, you know, we're able to essentially provide for their families independently and, you know, remove themselves from uh, abuse relationships, uh, physical and domestic abuse, um, as well as, you know, essentially just having the means to send their kids to school. Um, but with that, again, with the human capital comes its challenges, comes the challenges of infrastructure of a, you know, quote unquote, developing country. Um, so a lot of the things as far as importing and exporting out of the country tends to be super expensive. Um, and especially, and then you're dealing with the political instability. So year after year, you know, even though we, we do the necessary, um, planning or we try to plan ahead as much as possible, but you know, I last, just last year I had a shipment that was delayed because the road to actually get from the port to, from the production facility to the port was blocked for, for a week. Um, and, and there's no movement. And if you try to move, they'll either try to loop the truck or, you know, you're dealing with, with, uh, uh, bad situations and, and stuff that would endanger the staff. Um, but overall we're committed, um, to really economic development, social development in Haiti. Um, and so we continue to work with, with, with farmers, with women artisans, um, uh, with cooperatives to identify the best ingredients that we can source out of the country, um, for our product development the social purpose driven you know goal with the company all right how do how do you manage that how do you try to manage the balance you know between that the the goals you know the social issues uh the culture of the company as well as balancing you're still a business and there's still a there's still a bottom line right absolutely right. absolutely um and, and and you know which is why I, very early on it was it was difficult telling and going to potential investors, going to potential retailers and whatnot to say that we are a social enterprise because that term did not exist five to 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and so to your point, we manage and operate the business as any traditional business. We have our KPIs, uh, you know, we, we have our ROIs, return on investment. Um, and, you know, we're, you know, very surgical and strategic with regards to how we spend. And like I said, the, the, for the most part of our company's history, we've been bootstrapping. Um, the balance of it all is just really, I think part of it comes innately between myself and Eve Carr. Like we are social advocates and, and, you know, change agents like that's We wake up thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then number two is like, you know, integrating it as all aspects of the business, right? So right. it's how we hire. Um, what do we look for? Like, you know, we're very keen on like, making sure that even our marketing, like we are representative of, of people, of, of age, sex, body types. Um, in our staff, you know, we're, we're cognizant of that as well. So that sort of goes towards that, that social commitment and our social ethos. Um, and then in operations wide in Haiti, look, the business comes first. And I think that's also what's allowed us to sort of get out of that hump in 2016 is just sort of going back and really looking at our business practices and, and knowing that a stronger, a stronger business allows for deeper social impact. Um, mm -hmm. So if we can stand on our two feet and, 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 you know, sort of manage the company and, and making sure that, you know, our revenues are strong and our sales are strong, that allows us to further impact in, in keeping 
the, the, the company and the enterprise going on a more sustainable approach mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, a lot of, a lot of NGOs and a lot of nonprofits, their projects oriented. It's like, okay, Hey, we're going to do this for a year. But what happens to that farmer? What happens to that woman after a year when that project is done? Right. right. Quote unquote project. Right. But for us, our focus was like, okay, if we can create a good demand, really hone in on our sales and our, and our tribe and our customers, making sure that it's a symbiotic relationship of like, they're happy what they're getting and we're happy what we're producing. That just creates a better model for the business to then focus on and, and keep the social impact on a sustainable capacity. So I was just curious <laughs> if there's any, you know, um, you know, it's like black African castor oil. Is that like a direct competitor for you? You know, that's kind of like the the one that was in the market before you guys came around, right? There are others. There are others that came on the market before us, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, and, and, and look, you know, I think one of the things that we often tell our customers, too, is so on the African side, I think there's some like some of it percolating. But on the historical side, Haiti's been producing it. You know, since I think way before Christopher Columbus, that's a fact. We looked it up. <laughs> um, you know, and I think, you know, in addition to the, the, the product itself, it also goes back to the experience. Like we've very early on, we've always been about experiential. And it goes back to what I said as far as the type of brand that we wanted to be. We wanted, we were very careful with regards to the type of retailers that we wanted to get connected with and establish ourselves because we also saw an opportunity for our tribe and our early adopters, which were uh, African-American, Caribbean women, Haitian women. We wanted to really give them that white glove treatment when they purchased with us and give them that white glove experience. Um, you know, so we're, we're very keen on our customer service. We're very keen in working with, and, and our first retailer, our major retailer was Whole Foods Market. Um, and we were strategic about that and it took, look, guys, it took us three times to, to get on their radar and, and get that approval. But we were committed to that because we knew that once one of our early adopters and a member of our tribe walked into that store and asked for our product, they'll be met with, you know, one, again, going back to that respect and that, that mindfulness, um, that they're due of, of a paying customer who's interested in hundred percent natural and ethical products. And ingredients that did the knowledge that has that experience and that's really looking for a, a a service person or someone within or a clerk or someone or a team member as as whole foods like to say to help them guide them through that experience at the times that we can't be there okay so you talking about the retailers perfect segue um you know 2017 you guys are going to consumer you got your branding perfected 2018 you guys get an ulta deal and you're distributed through their in their displays, correct? Uh, 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 Whole Foods first. So Whole Foods first, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, and then Alta. Okay. Um, so Alta was what 2019? Yeah, 20 end of 2019. Um, um, Alta. So yeah, Whole Foods, like I said, was 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 um, very early on. Like I said, I, I really wanted to position the company in, in sort of a, a prestige setting. I mean, ultimately, like right now, I probably say we're more mastige. Um, but you know, all that again is just, I wanted to have the customer to have a, an experience that when they walk in, they're going to get the knowledge, they're going to get the history, they're going to get the background. Um, and also the demos if possible, right. Uh, to walk out. So whole foods and also because they are the leader in natural, um, was very early on a, a benchmark or a company that we wanted to associate ourselves with. Um, so we started off in one region and actually, uh, the whole food story was on the off heel of. Um, the 2016 experience 
you know, um, feeling down and, and just us going through different emotions. Um, Eve Cry ended up going up to the Northeast where we, at this time, we're in, we're in Miami. She went to um, New Jersey where her family is or her mom is. And her mom was like, hey, have you ever heard of the store called Whole Foods? And she's like, yeah, I only applied to get it there like three times. Uh, and, and, and three times we were denied. They said, hey, there's no need for this or, you know, there's, no, there's not enough of a demand. And so she went into Whole Foods and saw that there was, like Sean was saying, a competitor that had a similar product in there. And we're like, we're scratching. She's scratching her head. She's like, uh, what's up? Like, <laughs> I'm direct source. My ingredients are the same. But yet you told me that there's really no demand for this. Um, and again, going back to that early days of customer discovery, she sat there with the buyer, told the story, told, you know, our, our journey, our experience are sourcing out of Haiti, and the buyer was like, oh my God, I love you guys. I'm opening up a flagship in Philly. Look at that, it goes back to Philly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm opening up a flagship in Philly. And Sean, I don't know if you remember this, but the um, uh, the Universal City, not, I'm sorry, yeah, no, the um, the Art Museum. Okay. University uh, City? Uh, is that University? The Art Museum. No, no, not University City. The Art Museum area, so Temple had a dorm there, like, during our years, right? So they had a dorm. That got knocked down or bought out and knocked down, and 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 the Whole Foods replaced it. Yes, I, I forget what it's called. I know exactly I forget, what you're talking yeah, about. Though. The yeah. shuttles used to take you there. Yeah, exactly. The shuttles used to take us there. So, yeah. so that became Whole Foods' um, flagship location in, in in the city, and that particular buyer in New Jersey was responsible for buying and putting products in that flagship. Um, and then she was like, "I love it. I want you guys in here." So we we we. Oh, and that's why you need advocates, man, <laughs> in this in this journey. Um, and so she advocated for us to get in. We were actually one of the early uh, beauty brands in there. Um, we leveraged that our relationship with her to get into the whole region. Whole Foods is very decentralized. They have regions and then they have global management. Um, and each region is aut- autonomous. Okay. So we started with the Northeast region. Um, and then from there, you know, really use sort of our tribe. I mean, our tribe, we, we actually launched a campaign where we told our tribe to like, go and go to your Whole Foods, request the product, demand the product. Um, and then the buyers ultimately were like, Hey, we see the traction here. Um, and then within a year we went from, from one store, one region, ultimately to all 400 Whole Foods stores nationwide. I just want to mention, I think I'll be doing it this. I don't want my family to come for me for not mentioning Jamaican castor oil. Oh, yeah. No, 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 I know. But I'm always of the thought that there's more than enough for everybody to eat. But Absolutely. Like, Danny, you didn't mention it? All right. But no, um, <laughs> I would like to transition just a bit. Uh, could you, you know, uh, talk the audience through, you know, just the whole process of, being in business with Mr. Wonderful, and if people don't know, that's one of the personalities from Shark Tank. So what that Tank, that yeah. journey to getting on the show, pitching it, and and being partners with him. I mean, I know if if I was a betting man, that would be the last in- shark <laughs> that I would have assumed would have invested in the business out of everybody out there. Right. But you know, yeah, could you kind of no? Speak likewise, to- likewise. I mean, we went in. Um, you know, with Shark Tank, and so right at this point, we're five years in, um, you know, we've been doing well with, with the, uh, the retailers that we had and, you know, really growing our .com. And it was sort of like, you know, we, we created it on the offset. And, you know, I think the beauty of, of um, Ipcars and our relationship, we often start to feel angst or, you know, have 
mutual goals, like sometimes without even articulating it. Um, and I think we both were of that feeling of like, look, it's five years in, there's some things that we've had on this bucket list or it's been in our brain or our minds of what we wanted to do and we've just never done it. And part of it, again, is entrepreneurs, two young black kids who don't necessarily have like that experience or that Rolodex to call upon some folks. Mm -hmm. A lot of it came from fear of like, okay, hey, are we good enough? Um, hey, do we have the right product mix? Or hey, you know, can we actually sustain this particular growth? Um, and so two of them was like, hey, identifying, getting onto Shark Tank. And then the other one was identifying a strong beauty retailer for us to grow with. Mm. Um, and, you know, the strong beauty retailer were, came through Alta, Alta Beauty. Um, and right before Shark Tank, we actually were in talks with them to actually launch our full line of products. So we started off with the castor oil. And over the years, we expanded to hair, skin and body. Um, and our hairline consists of about five SKUs in total. Um, and so we negotiated the deal to essentially launch our full hair care line, our oils at all 1200 of Ulta stores and on their dot com. Mm. Um, and prior to going into Shark Tank that, you know, that was we were still working on that. And um, so Shark Tank happens, um, you know, again, we're, we're, we're going back and forth. We're traveling and my partner, you are taking the bulk of the thing. Um, you know, trying to meet retailers, trying to, you know, really work towards the goals that we set out for the year. And um, an application to apply for Shark Tank came about. We're like, okay, that's going to be part of the goal for the year. She ended up missing the Florida um, open casting call. And then um, we got an email that they were having casting calls in New York. Right now we're in Miami. She had just came off of traveling. And, you know, I, I, I sensed that she didn't want to travel again, but I was like, look, this is what we said we wanted to do. We mm -hmm. said we want to go after it, you know, just, just make it happen, make it happen, you know, go up there and I'll, I'll back you up. I think I remember booking her ticket like last minute, <laughs> changing mm -hmm. her hotel and, like, you know, playing quarterback for her. Um, so she went in, did the pitch and it was like, all right, cool. Look, we did it. Checked off. At least we went after it. Right. Um, got an email about a week later saying, hey, you're going on to the next round. Um, like, wow, the next round includes a massive amount of paperwork. They went another video submission. We did a video submission. We did like four different submissions and it was the first one that we just like freestyled it. We were ourselves and that was the first one that they, that they picked. Um, and what about our business? And I think we ended up, we were at a trade show and then we got a call and we're like, yeah, we, you know, we want you to start meeting with the producers. Uh, we want to have you on board. Um, and you know, we're like, oh my God, we couldn't even speak at the time. We couldn't even express that we were excited because we're in the middle of a trade show right. <laughs> meeting with folks. Um, but that process then becomes a second job because on a weekly basis, you're meeting with producers to essentially craft the pitch, mm -hmm. get ready. You know, of course, they go through your financials, you know, because remember, uh, you guys are in production, you guys are in mass media. It's production, it's TV, but right. also at the same time, it's a legit business program. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to couch and, and, and marry the two. Um, we get out to LA in about September. Um, again, you know, you go through the, the process of like, okay, hey, here are the sharks that you want. You know, Mark, of course, you know, Damon, all black kids want Damon. <laughs> um, and then, and then Lori, because of just the nature of QVC and, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, selling products and really understanding the retail space. Um, and so, yeah, we had our sharks, we had our pitch. I'm up at like four in the morning working, doing some last minute touches to the boxes. 
Um, they bring us back and it was like, all right, we're getting ready. We're like, whoa, we thought we were going to have time to actually go through this again. I was like, nope, you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you get there, the doors open and it's like, boom, like you've been practicing this for so long. You know, the energy's there. Um, at that point, I, I felt confident in what we were doing. Um, and we crafted that whole presentation ourselves, like, mm-hmm. you know, with our producers and with our team. So, you know, we really went in there wanting to really show the process of Castaway, but also show the culture. What folks don't know is that that whole 15 minutes that you saw on TV was about an hour and a half of back and forth, pitching, negotiations, and meeting and talk. Ooh. Ooh. An hour and a half edited down to 15 minutes, huh? Wow. 15 minutes. Mm. So we were in there for a good hour and a half and it goes from like, okay, hey, you're pitching to like really, you're pitching in front of, you're making the case for your business in front of just investors, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're putting your most in there. And of course, look, it's TV, so they know what buttons to push there to invoke the, the emotional core. But then it's also, again, you're tired. Like, you know, you're going pitch after pitch after pitch. And remember, at this point, we're four years in, we're reaching out to wholesalers, we're reaching out to different retailers reaching out to different investors because we've actually attempted to fundraise prior to that as well. So, you know, you're at that point, it's like, look, I'm just going to put it all on the table, all on the line to, to try to make this happen. Right. Right. And then, yeah. And, and I think also part of that too was the valuation because it's like, look, I know what I put into this. I know what I'm worth. I know the blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, you want to identify a right investment partner. And, and funny that you said that as far as Mr. Wonderful, for us, it, it, you know, on the, on the outside looking in, it's like, whoa, it's wonderful. But for us, we were thrilled mm-hmm. um, because at the point where we were on the business, we wanted, you know, you need a shark. You need someone who understands retail. You need right. someone that understands these business negotiations. Mm-hmm. And especially in talking with the likes of QVC and talking with, with, with Alta, you know, you need someone that will tell you what you don't know or what you don't know yet. Right, right. Um, you know, to essentially, especially if you want to get the business to the next level of where you really want it to be, a multi-million dollar uh, uh, enterprise, you know, something that, that can last within the next 20 to 30 years, you know, you need to start identifying some of those allies and that smart capital. You know, those individuals, it's not about just the money, but there's also what are they offering? Like what team are they bringing to the table to help you get to that next level? For sure. I will say, um, I don't know, you know, you just disclosed that it was an hour and change. Um, I don't know if it's editing or whatever, but regardless, props uh, to your partner for pitching that the, the, the counter offer, the royalty yeah, order. Led right into what my question I was saying. Oh, then, right. Because, <laughs> okay, so you mentioned how she's the more business-minded person and you're the more creative person, so... Did she come up with the idea? And for those who didn't see the episode, I'm going to give a little context. Mr. Wonderful uh, countered a horrible 37%. He wanted 37% of your company. You offered him 10 for 400K. He wanted 37% for 400K. Crazy. But she composed herself. Y'all composed yourselves. And you offered a royalty deal. Um, What was it? 4% for every um, 25 cents sold, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So now you mentioned there's an hour. Now I'm curious, was that something? Did you guys come up with that on your own? Was she like genius that came up with that as a counter on her own? Or was that like within the course of negotiations, they kind of made it TV magic? Like, Yeah, no. So it's a little bit of both. Um, we love the show. Like we're, we're fans of the show. So and and as, you know, astute, uh, I guess, business folks or what have you, we, we you know, we, we prepare. I, I, you know, we, we, we watch the show. We watch. And, and again, like, you know. I would not to ruin TV magic or lore, but anyone that, that has that position, or if you go into any meeting, just, just do your research, do your homework. 
Um, know who you're talking to. Know their backstory. And a lot of people, a lot of times people say business is not personal. Bro, like, <laughs> I can save thousands of dollars only because of the personal relationship that I have with my vendor. Um, you know, or, or, you know, like the FedEx delivery guy or the FedEx pickup guy, you know, the fact that I give him products and I ask him about like, you know, his, his wife and his daughters on a day-to-day basis, you know, it makes a difference whether or not he's willing, you know, to come in on his day off or right before he's about to, you know, finish shift, which ultimately can, can save me or cost, or, or cost me thousands and millions of dollars. Right. So it's all personal. Um, all that to say is, you know, you know, we did the research. It's like, okay, hey, we know the type of businesses that, you know, we looked at what type of business that Mark goes after. Type of, you know, uh, we know that <laughs> Mr. Wonderful is prone to to royalty deals, um, and and the type of businesses that he likes to invest into. So, um, you know, I think with that moment, we knew a threshold, and and so because I'm not the numbers one, the numbers partner. Um, we had a conversation sort of knowing what our threshold was going to be. And, and for me, I was like, you know, it's like when you're getting ready for that math test, it's like, okay, I won't go under this. I won't go under this. I won't go below this. <laughs> right, right. So I, I got to say, knew, that was brilliant. So. <laughs> I knew what the 10%, I was like, yo, bro, you're, you know, if you're doing 37, you're insane because that's, 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 yeah, that's a way above the threshold that I had in my mind. And then on top of it, what kicked in that instinct of like, yo, on Ecar's perspective, because she was just one like straight like, I'm I'm eating like I'm murdering this like I'm not leaving without a deal, <laughs> uh, and I think for her, you know, what kicked in was just our history, like the research and our experience in watching the show, and I was like, yo, like this is Mr. Wonderful. You like royalties? Boom. All right, what do you think about this? Because I'm not giving you all this part of my company, but I know something else that that based on the research right. and that emotional intelligence that kicked in, you know. And then you see his eyes light up. His eyes He's light like, up. Mm, yeah. I could royalty, like I don't know. It was it, it was yeah. like scripted from a movie. It so. felt scripted, yeah, but some, it, that it, that was not scripted at all. It was just like straight instincts that kicked in. Was just like, all right, no, I'm getting ready to lose this deal, but I know I want to walk out with the deal. So let, yeah. let's 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 make this happen. Well, props props to her for that because I was like. Very had to salute that that move and uh, shout out to them editors that kept cutting to Damon's face. Cool. So as you couldn't ask a question for the culture man. He got enough on his way. He's doing enough. He's doing enough. He got enough. But that that was funny. I, I was I was cracking up at the edit. So I was like, oh yeah, Hollywood does it again. But um, so as, as we wanna, we're gonna wrap it up with just one last question. Well, actually two, and you can kind of address it how you want. You know, on this show, we try to just really get to the essence and give people an insight to what goes on behind the business and starting a business, right? And it's not yeah. all glitz and glam, as you've already discussed and shared your journey so um what's either what do you wish you had known before you started you know this business to kind of help you out or you know what is a common myth that you've heard about entrepreneurship before you started and you're like no or if you want to answer both but <laughs> either yeah. or go for yeah. it i mean the what what i wish i knew was complex for me because mm-hmm. you know as we're growing and I look back at my journey and it's just like, I, you know, we didn't know a lot. We, I, I didn't know beauty. Um, you know what? I, I can answer that. I think for me and, and just only because of the segment that I'm in, 
Um, I had an idea or an inkling of where I wanted to be, but I didn't know how to get there or, or the language or the verbiage or, or sort of like that, that roadmap. And there are some, and not everyone has that, 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 that privilege, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to do so. But there are those that very early on, they're like, okay, Hey, I know about prestige beauty and this is where I want to be. And so all of your decisions, you know, do that. It's like, okay, Hey, look, I want to be in the NBA and. I, you know, I want to be the top point guard or whatever. Here are the drills that I need to do, right? right. For the next, like, you know, five to ten years to get there. Um, and I think if I, if I was to reflect, that would probably be, like, the one thing that <laughs> would have saved me some money, would have saved me some time, and allowed me to sort of walk in that direction a little bit sooner. Mm. But beyond that, I mean, as I reflect, I think what I didn't know, or what I, it, it forced me to figure it out figure it out creatively, figure it out on a bootstrapping model. And so they, I, we heard this thing at one point. It was like, you do things until it becomes painful and then you try to you expand your team and then you hire out or you, 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 you give the job to somebody else. Um, and so in not knowing things and not having a lot of the resources, it forces us to do a lot of things until it became painful. Um, and so now I, can, I feel I'm in the position I can really hire anyone and say, eh, no, you're doing it wrong or eh, here's where we can save. Because essentially, I had that experience right. um, uh, to do so. And then your other question was, um, what, common myth. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the <laughs> common myth of like, yo, you're an entrepreneur. You know, you set your time. You can relax. I mean, yes, you set your time for sure. But you end up working more, double, triple the time <laughs> because, <laughs> like. You got to do everything, and it becomes painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that common myth of like, "Oh man, you you know," like, and, and and I'll say this especially amongst our family members and those that are closest to us, right. you know, because that concept of like, "Hey, when you're trading your time for money," they get that idea, right? Of okay, hey, nine to five. Oh, I'm available Saturday, Sunday. Why aren't you? Mm-hmm. No, I, I gotta go and eat what I I gotta kill what I eat. Uh, you know, and, and, and sometimes like we just brought back order fulfillment. We had a, a company that was doing that for us during the age of COVID with things getting slowed down. And like we had just thousands of dollars worth of inventory out at, at different um, fulfillment houses. We're like, whoa, like that just puts us in a really uncomfortable position. Mm-hmm. And so we, we decided to, to bring back order fulfillment and ended up working with Uber who, who was piloting a, uh, a human resources program. Um, and that took us, we were literally fulfilling every weekend. Right. Uh, the last three, three to four months. Um, and, you know, sometimes a lot of times family members don't understand that right. um, of like, okay, the sacrifices and the work that you need to do. And that, you know, my time is not the, I'm not trading my time, you know, for a paycheck in the traditional sense. Right. Um, you know, I'm trading my time for something beyond that and, and, and sort of, you know, doing the weeks of sacrifices for a lifetime of paradise approach. Um, and sometimes, yeah, those sacrifices call for the weekend, miss birthdays, uh, miss vacations and, you know, really pri- reprioritizing like, look, I might not be available this particular time frame, but okay, hit me up in a couple months or like my mom, I'm like, look, I'm not going to be available when you call me right then and there. But when the time opens up, we can sit on the phone for two, three hours. I'll give you that, but I'm just not going to be available there for every every time you call <laughs> or every day. Indeed. Let that be a lesson to LLC Twitter or be your own boss Twitter. <laughs> um, you don't get all <laughs> you make your own hours, but it's not as uh, free and open as you think it is. All right. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. Sure. 
All right. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for uh, this episode of the Business Grime with uh, Stefan Jean-Baptiste, uh, co-founder of Creo Essence. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your story, your experience, your lessons learned uh, from the whole process. We definitely look forward to seeing more of what you have in store and to continue growth with you and your partner for the business. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. Check us out at CrayolEssence.com. Mm-hmm. And we're on the gram at Crayol Essence. And then, of course, Alta as well. Um, we're really, really excited about this partnership, mm-hmm. um, growing with them. Uh, getting all of our products out there and again going back to our goal of experience so making sure that you're going in there and getting that wonderful Crayol Essence experience. All right, thank you. Sean, you have any parting words? No, man, just thank you, Steph, for uh, giving us all this insight into the business and really going into the specifics. You know, I think a lot of people uh, maybe who have been interested in the beauty space now have a little more insight on what it takes. So thank you. It's a tough one, but we can do it. It's doable. Right. And, uh, change is coming. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right. Hopefully, you were able to pick up some insights from this conversation on what goes into starting your own business. If you have a question you would like us to answer on the show, shoot us a message on any of our social media channels or shoot us an email at questions at businessgrindshow.com. See you again soon. In the meantime, keep, keep grinding. The Business Grind is for entertainment purposes. Opinions expressed are those solely of the host and guests. Please consult with a professional and exercise discretion before engaging in any business endeavors. I'm out here on the grind. I'm out here on the grind.